On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are going to talk about a little mystery around the whole COVID thing. What has happened to the flu? Influenza has essentially disappeared this year. Why? Where has it gone? And that sounds like a silly question, but it's legit. There's almost no cases in Canada. Why not? Uh, We're going to be chatting about what has happened down in the States with the impeachment again of Donald Trump. We'll be getting to that one. And also what's happening in the NBA players flexing their muscles, being grumpy, being disgruntled, demanding to be traded, and teams acquiescing. Is that really the smart move? Or should owners start to say, you know what, you signed a contract, you're going to play for the contract, or you're not going to play? We'll talk about it all. Stay with us. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. I assume you have been somewhat paying attention for the last couple days. If you haven't, um, guess what? We're in a state of emergency and there's a stay-at-home order. And um, if this is news to you, (laughs) well, tell you what, call us later. We'll fill you in on all the details if you miss them. Lots going on, lots of new rules, lots of new regulations. We're going to get to whether or not they will or can or should work in just a second. First, though, I want to talk about something else COVID-related. And to my mind, it's one of the great mysteries of, we'll call it the COVID era. To me, a complete head scratcher that I have no understanding of why something is happening that is happening. To do that, let me bring in Dr. Karen Mossman. She is an infectious disease expert at the McMaster Immunology Research Center. She joins us now. Dr. Mossman, thanks again, as always, for your time. No problem. Thanks for inviting me. Well, okay, so help me. And I don't even know if you can, because this may be a mystery to everybody. I'm not sure. But to this point in the 2018-19 flu season in Canada, and the government tracks these things, to this point, there were 8,784 detections of influenza, again, according to those government numbers. Last year, same time frame, 12,574 cases of the flu. This year, according to the same department, same numbers, same tracking, same everything, 51. How is it possible? What has happened to the flu? Well, the flu influenza is a virus similar to SARS-CoV-2 or the COVID virus. And we've had, you know, a a whole number of public health measures. Um, In general, the population has been very, very good in following the public health measures. And those are measures that don't just protect you against the virus that causes COVID, but they will protect you against uh, many similar viruses, including influenza virus. So physical distancing, um, wearing masks, all of that, washing your hands, all of that has um, huge impacts on also preventing the spread of, of influenza. And then if you top that off with a lack of travel um, and also low numbers of the virus around the world because we're not the only country that's dealing with COVID. We're not the only country that has put in place um, significant public health measures. So globally, the, you know, the incidence of influenza are, are very, very low. And so we're not traveling. And, and when we do have individuals traveling um, internationally, they're coming from countries that also have low to no influenza cases. And, I mean, look, so- it, it, it's very, and I think, you, you know, look, there's there, much of what you're saying obviously makes a ton of sense. 
on, on the other hand, the reason we've just gone into a stay at home emergency measure in Ontario is because not enough people clearly were staying home and the COVID numbers were rising and rising and rising, which again, it is a bit of a puzzle to me that the, the COVID numbers because of exposure would continue to be skyrocketing and the flu is not having any of that. Well, the other thing though, that we have with influenza that we don't yet have, um, at least widespread with with COVID virus are the vaccines. Mm. And so this year, knowing that it could be potentially devastating to have an influenza um, outbreak and high influenza rates on top of um, having um, a high number of potential COVID patients in hospitals, um, the government ordered, I think it's it's somewhere around 25% more of the, the influenza vaccines. And I think because of the state that we're in and a very successful vaccination campaign, um, you know, all of those vaccines were, were rapidly depleted. People were lining up um, to get their, their influenza vaccine. So, you know, that is part of the, you know, what we have in our arsenal or our toolkit that we don't yet, at least for wide distribution, have with COVID. Um, and also a number of, even though every year the influenza virus is a little bit different, um, every year that you get a vaccine or you're exposed to the virus, you start to build up some immunity to the virus. So even if, you know, every year the influenza virus is, is a bit different from the previous year, over time you do build up that immunity. So again, it's a very different situation. Um, point well taken, it's not solely because of public health measures, that certainly plays a huge role. But I think also the, you know, some immunity to influenza in the population, along with, um, you know, people were very, very quick to get their, um, mm -hmm. their influenza vaccines. I mean, we, we went around and tried, you know, multiple times to make appointments before we could finally get in somewhere that had access to, to influenza vaccines. So um, I think that, you know, when you take all of that together in totality, I think that's why we're seeing, which thankfully, um, relatively yeah. no cases of influenza. Could, could there be, um, does influenza have uh, stronger and weaker strains year after year? Does it change a bit? In other words, could we be simply getting a little bit lucky that the strain that's out there is not that bad right now? And that, that could also be part of it. You know, every year, um, it, it's challenging, and as people likely know, it's challenging every year to to ensure that you know we have the, the perfect vaccine um, because you have to decide well ahead of time in order to make and manufacture and distribute um, you know your best guess of of which major influenza strain will be circulating on any given year, and as we've seen, some years the strains are um, you know much much more. Um, pathogenic or, or, or make people sick much more than other strains. Um, and part of that is, are they completely new um, strains that individuals have never ex been exposed to before and so have absolutely no immunity versus, you know, the same sort of circulating strains that have become somewhat seasonal and, and people then do over, over years develop um, some form of immunity. And so therefore, even if they are exposed, um, the symptoms are, are very mild or even asymptomatic. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Doctor, I, I want to get to the rules that were put in place, but just one more thing about the flu and COVID and the lack of flu and everything this year. We've heard that there are 
plenty of cases where people have gone to get a COVID test because they haven't been feeling well and got a false positive. Is there a chance that some of these tests that people actually had the flu, but somehow thought it was COVID or it got represented as COVID or something like that? Or is that a ridiculous idea? Well, the fact that someone might have symptoms and they went to get tested for COVID and it was not COVID, very likely that it could have been the symptoms caused by another respiratory virus of which influenza is one of them. Um, So that is possible because many of these viruses give very similar symptoms, you know, runny nose and, and, and whatnot. Um, but the, the current, and so once you've been, sorry, and once you've been there then, and you've got the negative test, you're so relieved that you don't even bother to find out what it was. As long as it's not COVID, I'm good. Correct. Correct. And that, and that I think is, is the case for many, but you know, the false positive wouldn't or false negatives, um, the tests that they're currently doing, um, for COVID are very specific. They're called PCR tests and they're looking for the specific sequence. So those are very, very specific to um, to the SARS-CoV virus because they're looking specifically for that sequence that is unique to that particular virus. So they wouldn't get a, a positive test and only have influenza virus because that has a very, very different sequence. Uh, you are an expert in infectious diseases, so there is nobody better positioned to uh, to talk about these rules that have been put in place now, the lockdown, the stay at home, the emergency, everything else. Uh, will these work? Well, if they're followed. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, that's a good know, start. Because, okay, so here, this is, this is what I, I, I won't take credit for this. I read or saw this somewhere, um, but it's very true. The virus doesn't move around on its own. It's carried. People move the virus around. So the virus doesn't on its own travel from point A to point B. People move the virus from point A to point B. So if, if people, you know, stop moving, if people aren't interacting directly with other people, it, it doesn't give the opportunity for the virus to move. The virus isn't moving on its own. People are moving the virus. So, you know, the more that you can stay at home and, and follow all of the, the directives, you know, the better we will be at containing the virus because the virus needs people to go from point A to point B. It doesn't do it on its own. The, uh, and so that would theoretically mean that if people do follow the rules that within a couple of weeks or three weeks, we could curtail this, I suppose. The, the, the question though, other than that is if we're now all locked down at home with the people we live with, some people already have it and may not even know it. Should we still expect another spike because the people who are now in an enclosed area with their family with full-time exposure are going to pass it to those people before it settles down? Uh, you know, that's always a possibility. And it's, it's impossible to, um, you know, to not be around people at some point. And certainly within your own household, it would be very challenging to, you know, always maintain that physical distancing and not spread a virus around. But the difference there is that that's a very, very small number of people. If the, and if you don't know that you have the virus, so you're completely asymptomatic, that's also because your immune system is able to really control that infection. So within a fairly short period of time, even if you were infected, your immune system controlled the infection and you spread the virus to a family member or, or someone living in your household. Um, and if they had also an asymptomatic infection within, you know, a, a period of time, 
everyone will will clear their infection because that's what your immune system mm. is there to do. If you're if your immune system is not effectively clearing, then you'll get your symptoms and, and then you'll know you're infected. And then that gives the opportunity to to go for a test, to go, you know, find out, to, you know, take the proper measures depending on how, um, you know, how severe the symptoms are. So it, it, it still is possible, absolutely, when you're in close contact with family members. Um, but, you know, it, one of the reasons why, you know, you give it a month or so is under those circumstances, if even if it are, you know, asymptomatic infections, your immune system, if healthy, should be able to clear those, um, those infections. And if, as you say, assuming people follow this, but if we, if we, to a person, followed this and did exactly what the rules are now and no one broke it and everything else, if it's a two-week quarantine time or gestation or whatever the right word is, within two or three weeks, if everybody followed this, we could be done, correct? Well, the Theoretically? virus has a place to go. Theoretically, yes, because viruses, they can't survive outside of, of an individual. We call them, so the scientific term is obligate intracellular pathogens. They need, they can only survive and replicate and grow within a living organism. So if if you now have nowhere for the virus to go, the virus will basically die out. And that's what we saw happen with the original SARS outbreak um, back in 2003. Now that virus, again, as we talked about, very, very different. If you were infected, very severe symptoms, you knew you were infected, so much easier to control because you don't have people walking around asymptomatically. But in that case, you know, because of the ability to recognize people that were infected and contain the infection, that actually died down very, very quickly. And if you recall, we had cases in Toronto, but we didn't have any in Hamilton. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And see, all this time, I thought that it was the big concert that ended SARS. <laughs> Who knew? Dr. Karen Mossman, always appreciate your time. Thanks for taking a few minutes today. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Interesting day south of the border, historic day south of the border. The House just voted within the last hour or two, to uh, 232 to 197 to impeach Donald Trump. Of course, the second time Donald Trump has been impeached. Now the question becomes, well, that's part of the question. What now? Because as you know, there's not a lot of time left in this presidency. What now? Elliot Tepper is a professor emeritus of political science at Carleton University who has agreed to jump in at a very last minute here. And and we really appreciate it, Elliot. Thank you for your time tonight. Oh, you're very welcome, Scott. This very minute, uh, as we were about to launch this this, uh, conversation, Nancy Pelosi signed the article of impeachment. So it's an well, historic it, it, moment. It is, it is a historic moment, and it's unquestionable that this makes a statement. I, I don't think anyone would argue against that. Um, the question is, there's only about 150 hours left in Donald Trump's term, maybe less than that now. Um, the Senate isn't scheduled to reconvene until the day before Joe Biden's inauguration. It, it seems unlikely they could remove him from office. So it makes a statement unquestionably. Does it make a difference, though? That's been the argument. Uh, if you've been, as you you may, you possibly have been too busy to watch the debates on the floor of the House today, but that's really been uh, the crux of the arguments back and forth. So why are you bothering uh, 
he's out of office anyway, say the Republicans. I mean, they've said a lot of things. Uh, but uh, that's, that's the core of their main argument is it's time to heal. This is from, <laughs> from a party that's been pouring on the division for a long time. But uh, it's time to heal. We have to move on. This just divides the country. Why bother? He's out of office anyway. So this is really vengeance. One of the Republicans uh, on the floor of the House today said, look, you've already got it all. You've won the House. You've won the Senate. You've won the presidency. So this isn't about justice. It's about vengeance. But the Democrats uh, and a number of Republicans, as it turns out, have said there has to be accountability. This is an issue of uh, nobody is above the law. We have had something extremely serious here. Remember, these same people, these are, these are the people who were cowering under their desks just a week ago today. This is a... You and I talked about it. We did. Time. Yes, we so, did. That night. Th- that very night. So there, there was a terrorist attack on, on the capital of, of the United States. These are the people who were the targets of it. And they've uh, said overwhelmingly now, uh, it's, it's a done deal, that nobody's above the law. If there's been an incitement to this violence, if there's been an attempt to tell people to overthrow the government, remember, they were trying to stop the vote. Uh, of, of the electoral college, then it has to uh, there has to be a there has to be an accounting. This is the accounting. We've signed it. Where ten Republicans have joined in, and interestingly, Scott, not just ten who signed, but there were several others who said, "Well, we're not going to sign. We're not going to vote with you on this." But uh, we think, and this is including the uh, the minority leader in the House, the, the the number one Republican said, "We believe the United the, the President of the United States." is guilty of incitement, but I'm not going to sign on to an impeachment. So there is a bipartisan, to a point, uh, agreement that the president has to be held to account because nobody is above the law ever. And, and look, and I think that's a very, very valid point. Um, absolutely. And this was a, this was an ugly, you know, you and I talking last week. That wasn't the ugly part. It was it was what inspired the discussion. That was ugly. You mentioned a word though that I, I find fascinating, and that is vengeance. And um, unquestionably, Elliot, it's unquestionable that from the moment Donald Trump was elected, that many Democrats have seen him as an illegitimate president and have sought ways to get him out of office. And now he's gone and handed it to them in the last days of his presidency. But is this, you know, when you talk about the idea of healing or trying to bridge gap, bridge divisions or whatever, is this going to just inflame those who voted for him maybe once, maybe twice, and have always believed this was always just about getting him out of office? The particular uh, charge here is that whatever you might have thought up until the day of the election, his unwillingness to accept that he was legitimately defeated and that he propagated a falsehood uh, which has been, you know, 50 states certified the results of their own elections uh, 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 through their own processes, and it was litigated and recounted. The fact that he would not, um, in effect, do the right thing and accept that he had lost, and then so wound up people that they, uh, and, and we could talk a little more about this, about what happened a week ago, because we're learning more about it, uh, even if you supported him up until then, say a lot of these Republicans, we can't support him when he will not uh, accept the reality of his defeat and works to overturn the will of the people. So I think that that is a lot of what's going on now. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. 
okay, so we've done this, as you said, right when you came on the air, Nancy Pelosi was signing this. We get to the nuts and bolts of this now, which is where this can get really interesting and really complicated because of the time frame of this. Again, so close to the end of his term. Uh, incoming Senate leader Chuck Schumer said today that he hopes to hold the Senate trial in half a day and then get on to other business and get on with things. Typically, in the past, impeachment trials have taken weeks and weeks. Yes. The what what happens now? Well, we should continue with the. I think why this is being done now, which is the question you raised. And so what? You know, he's going to be gone. Why bother? And part of it is. You know, nobody's above the law, and if you do encourage uh, uh, incitement to for an insurrection, you, there's a penalty. But there's a practical side to it, in that as it's now coming out, everybody's getting quite a civics lesson here. That's that true. After the impeachment, uh, if remember the impeachment is just a bill of particulars; it's a charge sheet. The Senate now has to hold a trial. Two thirds are required in the Senate to convict and remove the president wait he's gone anyway however after that if it's if there's a if 17 um, republicans join a solid block of 50 democrats none of that's assured of course but if that happens then after that another vote can be taken immediately that says as a consequence uh, we can by simple majority vote 51 votes we can now say that because this uh, president is convicted, he will be barred from ever running from public for public office again. So this is not a meaningless, symbolic mm-hmm. vote that's being sent from the House to the Senate. Uh, the possibility that uh, because of high crimes and misdemeanors under the Constitution of America, uh, a sitting president who committed them could not run again, that's very much on the agenda. I do wonder, though, whether um, what Schumer has suggested, even though they may yeah. find those 17 Republicans, if that's not also dangerous, because if you do something in a, you know, a slapdash way that shows yes. almost disdain, it, it seems to me you undercut the credibility of the whole thing and make it look like it's just a way to stick the knife in. Right. The uh, to, So to continue on that on the process side, once uh, once an article of impeachment reaches the Senate floor, that is from the House to the Senate, the, what the charge sheet goes for trial, the normal procedure is that takes precedent over all other business. All other business stops. Well, this is Biden's first hundred days. So in a way, it's a, it's a way for Donald Trump to further mess with mm. Biden and the Democrats if, he, if all the business stops. But um, Schumer is saying, well, we can, we can do this in the morning for a long time we can do the one and then the afternoon we can do the other but i think a more interesting suggestion has been made by representative Clyburn of south carolina number three in the in the house uh, lineup he said it doesn't say when the senate has to take this up that is the house uh... can deliver their their um, article of impeachment anytime it doesn't say you have to do it that night that means you can actually wait a hundred days Mm-hmm. and then take it up so that Biden will have his 100 days and then deal with the issue of what to do about Donald Trump. I was going to ask you the question, and I don't think you have any way of knowing this, so I'll skip the the obvious question, which was, does this um, bring down, does this reduce political temperatures in the states? I, I'm not sure it will. I'm not sure it won't. But l- let me go this way. Um, 
does this, because of the timing of this and because, again, of the the belief that some have that the Democrats have wanted to get Trump and, and he, he sure handed them the opportunity, does this turn impeachment into just another political weapon? In other words, are we going to start seeing this be used more often, even as as revenge almost against the next president when the Republicans get a chance? Well, this is there's a serious danger of that because there were hardly any impeachments until fairly recently. Remember, uh, Nixon resigned rather than be convicted. He was about Republicans in the Senate and uh, others went to him and said, sir, you're going to lose this. And so then he resigned. But Clinton then was impeached over an indiscretion with a young woman, an intern. Well, that's compared to uh, incitement to, <laughs> to overthrow the government of, of the country is rather a minor charge. But uh, he was acquitted, of course, in the Senate and went on to, uh, when he left, he, he was more popular than Donald Trump ever was in his presidency. His popularity actually went up before the end of his term. But there's a possibility that impeachment will become much more frequent. And one of the striking things about the first impeachment was just how inconsequential, to me, speaking as a political scientist, how inconsequential it was. It's supposed to be really a major somber moment in American politics, you know, the ultimate weapon, so to speak, of the Constitution. And it was, you know, a speed bump. It was... It was, you know, like Wednesday or something. It was, yeah. it was not a serious moment in American politics. But now the second one is a more serious one, and perhaps because the charges are so serious. Elliot, i got to jump in. I only have 10 seconds left, so, and I just wanted to ask you this very, very quickly. We've heard talk about pardons, even Donald Trump pardoning himself. If he was to do that, is that only against criminal charges, or could a pardon for himself, if it would work, because nobody knows if it would, could that also end the Senate trial? Apparently not. Uh, the... The, that's been asked by, uh, to the experts and people who really study this as constitutional experts say no, uh, that it's for the, a different, different category of crime. So both higher and lower, that is higher in terms of he can't be acquitted be, uh, for the impeachment, but lower that he can only be acquitted for federal crimes. Anything at the state level would continue, and there's a lot of those, particularly mm. in the state of New York in Manhattan, that he will still have severe legal troubles no matter what. Elliot Tepper, Professor Emeritus of Political Science at Carleton, I do really appreciate you jumping in at such late notice. Thanks for your time, as always. Oh, you're very welcome, Scott. We, we, you and I are living through history last Wednesday and this Wednesday. What a time to be uh, having these conversations. Well, we'll talk to you next Wednesday. <laughs> yes, well, actually, it's the, it's the inauguration. So there who you knows? go. Who knows? Maybe so. Th- thanks so much for the time, as always. Take care. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Well, you may have heard the story today. It broke just late this afternoon that there was a massive trade in the NBA. I don't know if you follow the NBA. It's okay if you do. It's okay if you don't. You probably were on board with the Raptors when they were good. They're having a little trouble right now. We'll get to that in a second. But big, big trade in the NBA today. James Harden um, was traded from the Houston Rockets to the Brooklyn Nets. Why am I bringing this up? Why is this important? Well, because it kind of goes along with a pattern that seems to be developing in the NBA among superstar players that I really believe is very problematic for the league, for the sport. I want to bring in Steve Foxcroft, our buddy, longtime sports commentator, Buffalo Bills sideline, well, not Buffalo Bills, NFL sideline official, works at the Bills games, joins us now. Steve, how are you tonight? I'm great, Scott. How are you doing? I'm good. Have you thought out from Saturday? 
I have. Yeah, it wasn't as bad as what this Saturday may be, though, from what I'm hearing. <laughs> well, this Saturday is supposed to be chilly, but again, beautiful. The Bills are losing all their home field advantage by not having crappy weather. Yes, that's right. However, against the Ravens, that might be a tough one. They can run the football, and they're pretty physical, so it'll be interesting. A lot at stake. I uh, I don't know if we're going to get into football, but I, I got to say, uh, I know there's a lot of Bills fans and a lot of revitalized Bills fans around here. I, I'm If I had to put money on it, I don't know that I'd be putting it on the Bills this weekend, unfortunately, because I think the Ravens just look like a team that is peaking at the exactly right moment. Yeah, unfortunately, this matchup has both teams that have probably been two of the best in the last couple months are meeting maybe a week earlier than they should be. Yeah. Well, we'll see. We may get to that at the yeah. end of the hour, but I, yeah. I want to get to this basketball thing because James Harden, mm-hmm. big trade today. He Now, here, here's the problem I have with this. The guy's being paid something like 40 or 38 or something million dollars a year to play basketball. If you're going to pay me $38 million to play basketball, I'll do it in a thong when you tattoo my entire body with pictures of kitty cats. I don't care. $38 million US is a lot of money. But he, of course, unhappy with Houston. He was sulking, demand, you know, got overweight, wanted out. And they they came through for him. They let him out. And, and it... Steve, I got to tell you, the, the uh, I love the NBA, I love basketball, but we're seeing it over and over now that superstar players are sulking and getting their way, and I think it's terrible for the league and for the sport. I agree with you, and and this goes back a ways too. Like for me, remember in in my age and everything, Shaquille O'Neal and Kobe Bryant, they couldn't coexist and win championships together, and Shaq ended up leaving and going. Uh, to the heat with Dwayne Wade and won championships there, but it's just, and is it because in basketball with five starters, you can create your own, get your buddy in there and win a championship and be very good where in other sports, I think it's difficult to do, but we, we meaning the owners, uh, the teams, they're cowering to these guys and giving them what they want. And they're big babies. Well, and that, and when you do give them what they want, does it not empower other stars then to say, well, look, if James Harden, I mean, look, in the last number of years, you had Anthony Davis, who's now with the Lakers, got what he wanted, basically wanted out of New Orleans. And I don't know if he quit on them or just made a fuss and got out. Uh, You had Paul George, who wanted out of Oklahoma City, and he got out. Uh, You got James Harden. You had... um, uh, Kevin Durant, who wanted out of Oklahoma City to go to the Golden State Warriors because he wanted to win. I mean, it, like it. Where is the owner who is finally going to say, you know what, Bob? We'll give it. Well, a generic Bob. If you don't want to play here, that's fine. Uh, you don't show up, and we will dock you every day for the pay that you would have got. But you're not playing anywhere else, so it's here or nowhere. Where's that owner? And and Brooklyn would be the great example to do it right now with the Kyrie Irving situation, which he hasn't gone so far as he's wanted out, but he's kind of gone AWOL a bit. And it's over $450,000 a game that he would be docked. And wouldn't it be great to see the Brooklyn Nets owner at least do that and then stand up to these guys? Because it's embarrassing now for a guy like KD, Kevin Durant, in essence, you could say that he chose Kyrie Irving over a Steph Curry. Like, he could have stayed in Golden State and play with Steph Curry, who, you know, he's kind of, from NBA and athletic standards, Steph Curry, I'd have to say, is a pretty decent guy. And 
KD leaves there to go to Brooklyn and hook up with a Kyrie Irving, and he's showing his true colors, which have kind of been consistent over his career. He hasn't got along with anybody at any of his stops along the way. It just, to me, is, it's, you know, look, I, I understand people have pointed out that, you know, I, back in the eighties, I was a huge Los Angeles Lakers fan and I loved Magic Johnson and Byron Scott and Michael Cooper and Kareem and James Worthy and all those guys, Kurt Rambis and the whole team. And people have said, well, look, that was a super team. Guys wanted to play there. They did, but all of those guys were either acquired by a legitimate trade or by drafting. And it wasn't that the players were just flexing all their muscles and it was only, I would only play on the Lakers or only play on the Celtics. It, they built incredible teams, but it was done organically. And I hate that word so much, but it, that's how it was done. Now, you know, and, and I would say this, look, I would say this about any athlete in any sport. I've said before many times, I hated when, um, well, Ray Bork left the Boston Bruins to go and chase a Stanley Cup in Colorado. I know he got his cup. I know he was happy about it. I, he was a Boston Bruin and should have stayed a Boston Bruin in my mind. And his legacy would have been no harm, not harm, not one bit by not having won a cup, but staying his entire career with the Bruins. Mm-hmm. It's just the idea that you, you're unhappy with where you are, despite the massive money you're making and the fact that teams are building around you and you go, ah, forget it. I'm out of here. Wrong. It is wrong. And you know, let me throw one more Laker name. Use the Canadian Rick Fox. I believe he was kind of part of at the end of those names that you mentioned too. So I'll throw in the Canadian content there who played for the Lakers. And you know, it's just the other one is you mentioned Paul George a minute ago too. That one was a shocker when Kawhi chose the Clippers and then also announced that. Oh, and by the way, Paul George, oh, he's not with the Clippers yet, but he's going to just say to Oklahoma City, I want out. And then he comes along, too. They're they're legit having dinner together. It's almost like they're putting together the teams. And the GMs are kind of left to them, oh, you make this happen after the fact. you know. And how about this one, just to touch on the Ray Bork thing, our Hamilton guy, Dave Anderchuk, who he kind of bounced around a little bit, but I loved him as a Buffalo Sabre. And, but Dave and Andrichuk, and then he Dave got, he got his cup. Yeah, but he didn't. He wasn't with a team for all the years, and then decided at the last minute to leave to chase a championship. Dave Andrichuk, he was a free agent, and you know, and and that was an opportunity for him. It's different. It, it, to me, it's mm-hmm. different. It's different if you're a superstar at the height of your power, and then you hold your franchise hostage. Basically, look, James Harden, the entire Houston Rockets franchise was built around him. And then he says, ah, forget it. I want out of here. To me, that's entirely wrong. And now, so you got the Brooklyn Nets who've now got James Harden who quit on the Rockets. You've got uh, Kyrie Irving who quit on the, the, his current team right now. Uh, You've got um, Kevin Durant who quit on Oklahoma city when he won a, is there a team that is less likable in the history of sports than a bunch of quitters playing together now and all, I mean, very talented, unbelievably talented. How could either, anybody possibly cheer for these guys? I, I couldn't. I just can't. And like you said, they're a bunch of quitters. And the, who it looks uh, tough on is their coach, Steve Nash, oh. who classy guy. And he's sort of caught left holding the bag here to try and make it, um, make it look decent anyways. And, and there's no way you can make this look decent. You can't spin a web here 
to to come up with a good story for these guys and it and it's just not his nature well and, and how disrespectful is it even for Kyrie Irving to say you know now Kyrie Irving left because he, it was personal issues and you know when you hear people say I've left on personal issues I'm I'm incredibly sympathetic to that because you think oh you know what maybe there's a sick family member maybe you're having a a bout of depression or mental health issues that you have to deal with. Maybe there's something really serious here. And I, you know, look, whether you're an athlete or a CEO or a person cleaning up the garbage, um, I, I think we should be understanding of those things. So when you say I've got personal issues, I'm all willing to give you the benefit of the doubt, but they got video now, apparently of him out partying without a mask. This, this is not seemingly the kind of personal issues that you and I would talk about missing work for. And it's so disrespectful to Steve Nash. I, I agree with that. And, also, and his teammates. Like the, you got the, you know, the in, in Canada, we have the Bell Let's Talk Day and the mental issues are becoming more prominent now and kind of taking the rightful place as a, as a storyline. And you got people like Kevin Love in the NBA, Cleveland Cavaliers, and DeMar DeRozan, our former great Raptor, coming out and speaking about those issues. So like you, when you hear that, I, I'm thinking, oh, you know what? Okay, let's let him go. Let's let him take care of things. It's either a family member, maybe himself having these things, because they're not immune to it, even though they're making of course not. $30, 40000000 million a year. They're not immune to having uh, issues like that. So, yeah, let's go do it. But then it's consistent with him, though, and it, it, it just follows him around. And also, like you said, then the video surfaces. And again, poor Steve Nash, he's questioned, and this is New York media. This isn't, you know, me and you here in Hamilton asking uh, Patrick Tatum, the coach of McMaster's basketball team or something like that. This is New York media grilling Steve Nash. And I think he tried to take the high road by saying, oh, I haven't seen the video yet. And then he gets crucified for that, saying, well, you're not doing your job if you haven't seen the video yet. So I just it's a want a situation for him. I just want one owner one time. Now, I don't know how you do it because there's so much money and your whole franchise's future is riding on. I get it. But I would just love for one owner to say, no, no, I'm sorry. You signed a contract. You wanted the contract when it was four years and $30 million a year or whatever. You were very happy to sign with us you're going to play for the term of the contract. And then if you choose to walk away or do something else, that's fine. And if you choose not to play, that's fine. You're suspended and not being paid. I would love for one owner or general manager or coach or someone to stand their ground, but it just, it seems like that's never going to happen. You know, and it's also like these owners are fans themselves, right? Like the Clippers owner, when he got uh, Kawhi and Paul George and that, remember the introductory press conference? He was hooting and hollering like a fan. So I, I, we wish for it, but is it truly going to happen? Like you'd have to have a really stern faced owner to stand up to these guys. It seems like, cause that's what needs to happen. Now here is the other thing. We only have a few minutes left here. Here's the other thing. There, there is an opportunity at some point there will be, because you know, a Kawhi Leonard was seen as a malcontent at the end of his time in San Antonio before he came to the Raptors. Now that was, he, he wasn't, it wasn't quite the same. He was injured and that was what he was upset about was his treatment. But th- you know, there are going to be opportunities for the Raptors potentially down the road to grab some of these guys as they get frustrated with their team or whatever. Do you want, if you're a Raptors fan, 
does it matter the reason why a guy comes or if he can play are you happy to take anyone no matter what the reason even if he quit on his old team that is a trick question because you just don't know how it's going to come to be and it's like you have to play by the rules that are being played by these days and it seems like that's that's how you're going to have to be competitive but do we have someone of that stature that would be able, like a player of that stature to want to come to Toronto and then do that, bring a couple buddies. Like right now, I'm kind of happy to do it in Masai we trust, right? Like Masai Ajuri, he's the one of the best, if not the best in the business, and he's so well-respected. I like the way he did it. Like he did it like you said, the old Celtic and Laker teams. He yep. put it together through the rules, through the draft, through free agency, through trades, and we got a championship out of it. Like, and I'm not even. And, and for the record, way. and Steve, for the record, when I'm talking about this stuff, I'm not talking about free agency. If you're a free agent, the rules allow you to choose what team you want to play for. So if, if a guy wants to come to another team or leave his old team, that's entirely his choice. I'm talking about the guys under contract who suddenly grouse about their situation or leave a great team because, you know, like I I had a big problem with Kevin Durant leaving Oklahoma city because they were one win away from knocking off golden state. And he gave up trying to Mm -hmm. compete and said, I'm just going to join the team. That's going to make it easier. That's how it looked anyway. Right. And the ones I agree with you about the free agency, but what happens now though, Scott is all these free agents seem to come along with someone else who's under contract, right? Like they aren't just doing it a bunch of them. Sometimes it's always, there's always something under undermined going on with it. Well, there's a way, there's a way the NBA could stop it. And if they're not going to, there's zero chance they're going to, but that is you put in a hard salary cap as opposed mm-hmm. to this flexible one that has exemptions for this and that and the other, you put a hard, in a hard salary cap. And then you want to know something. If LeBron James wants to bring in two of his buddies or someone else wants to, that's fine. But you know what? You're the superstar. You're going to not be able to get 40. You're going to make 15 million because all of a sudden you want your buddies with you. Uh, what's more important to you, having your buddies alongside or the money? Right now you can do both. And I think that this at this rate too, cities like Sacramento, maybe even in Atlanta, like some of the cities that aren't on the uh, top 10 list of uh, destinations, let's say, when are they ever going to win? When are they ever going to get a chance, right? It'll be years, decades, and maybe not ever before they would get a chance to do that. But a hard salary cap would definitely be helpful. And except you'd never get it through the players association now, right? Once you give, you're not going to get it back. Yeah, we got to go. But you mentioned Sacramento. I thought it was really funny. Um, The other night I was flipping channels and the Raptors were playing Sacramento. Is there any other team in any other major sport that is as easy to forget exists as the Sacramento Kings? Like, it, it, unless they're on your TV, if someone said name all the NBA teams, I bet you 90% of people not living in Sacramento, the Sacramento Kings would be the last team they came up with. If there was relegation, they'd be that team every year. <laughs> right? yeah, well, you know, for the longest time, now they became good, but for the longest time, they were the St. Louis Blues of hockey. It was that team that you go, oh yeah, St. Louis has a team, don't they? That's right. Um, exactly. Sacramento Kings. You, uh, you want to win a bar bet? Ask someone to name two players on the Sacramento Kings. You got me. You got me. You I go. can't even do it. And they just played the Raptors. I should be able to. Corey Joseph, right? He's there now. Yep. And um, what's his name? High, uh, Hightower or High 
the, yeah. the guy who was shooting all the threes, but I can't even name him. Yeah, I know. Uh, I can't even think of him. I can't even think of him. And so you watch, he'll want, he'll, he'll demand to be out of there next and join Brooklyn as, as well, yeah, because he'll that's be on the thing Brooklyn now. train. <laughs> you got it. Steve Foxcroft. Always appreciate the time. Thanks for doing this. Good catching up, Scott. Talk soon. It is, uh, it, it is, as I say, it's, it's, I think the NBA has a problem and, and it's a growing problem and we'll see what, the, I mean, there's not really that much they can do about it, but it just, you've got players now that, you know, I, I don't want players to be seen as chattel. Uh, I don't want them to have no ability, no power, no say. I don't want that at all. I think that we've been through that in sports. We saw that with original six hockey where teams can bury guys in the minors because they don't like them. That, that, that's not good either. But somehow the idea that you sign a contract and then just demand your way out of a team it, 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 to go join your buddies or whatever, it, it's, it just seems problematic, quite frankly. Thankfully... Thankfully, in recent years anyway, I mean, we saw it with Vince Carter, kind of, and we saw it with Tracy McGrady with the Raptors, and we've seen it with Chris Bosh, well, so maybe not. But, I mean, it's lately it's not been the case with Toronto that guys are demanding out, but let's hope it stays that way. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.